Hello and welcome to the season eight finale of Modern Day Philosophers. Thank you so much for being with the show or just finding the show if that's you. Thanks for tuning in. Um, today's show is fantastic. I talked to Sam Wills, aka Boy with Tape on Face, aka Tape Face, who you might know from America's Got Talent, or from his show in Vegas, or from his show in the fringe festivals all over the world. This guy is phenomenal. I really, really can't wait for you to hear me talk to this tremendous talent. The tape comes off the face for this exclusive interview. I know how corny that is, but I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it, and so I did. It's my show. I can do what I want. Guys, I'm so excited because not only is this a season finale, not only did we get wonderful, tremendous feedback this season, uh, the Erica Rhodes episode that just came out last uh, last month has been uh, blowing up. People really loved it and wrote in, and I appreciate it. And you can always write into me, by the way, at thecomical at yahoo.com. That's thecomical at yahoo.com, and let me know what you think. Or you could do me a solid and get on those iTunes uh, reviews and write a nice review and put five stars there. That's always, uh, that's always good for business. But uh, I'm very excited because my comic book, Fair Enough, is now available for order. You can get one. It's only seven bucks plus shipping, and I will sign it, and I will inscribe it to you. I'll write a message, something like thank you, uh, with your name, and I will sign it and send it over to you. It's phenomenal. It's the true stories of me, comedian Danny Lobel, put into comic book form. The first one is an homage, a love letter, if you will, to the late, great Harvey Picar, who, in my estimation, uh, was the, the best there ever was in this art form. And I was lucky enough to get to know him a little bit before he died, and I tell that story and more in the first issue of Fair Enough. Go to fairenoughcomic.com and pick up an issue today. Now... I put this show out, what, once, maybe twice a month at most, which leaves you plenty of time, plenty of time to fill your ears with other fantastic podcasts, and I am honored to have one of them sponsoring this show. In fact, they say that laughter is the best a medicine. Well, the We're Going to Hell podcast promises to give you that medicine without watering it down. That's right. It is raw, uncensored, and definitely not for the easily offended. New York City comedians, the best kind of comedians, if you ask me, poke fun at pop culture, topical news, and everything in between with their brutally honest opinions. Sorry, social justice warriors. No political correctness on this podcast. Just good, cheap American fun. Co-hosts Caleb Barg and Zach Irwin, also featuring Mike Hernandez, will bring you the laughter that you've been missing. Is it racist that I put a little bit of uh, a Latino uh, twang on the word Hernandez? I, I hope not. I don't know. I think it's just honoring the proper pronunciation. But you don't know. You don't know anymore these days. Check them out on iTunes, Google Play, and go to GothamPodcastStudios.com. That's GothamPodcastStudios.com to see where they record their show. Show them some love on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook with their handle at WGTH podcast. They need love. Who doesn't? If you want them to discuss something that is happening in this world that keeps you up at night, send them an email to WGTH podcast at gmail.com. Watch their live feed every Wednesday at 6.30 Eastern time on YouTube by subscribing to the We're Going to Hell podcast channel. We're Going to Hell podcast. Check it out. 
Fill your ears and your brain with it. Go and download one now. Check it out. These guys are doing it. You can watch them. You can listen to them. You can write to them. You can follow them. They're on their game. Funny New York guys. So nice of them to sponsor the show, too. They, they sponsor this show. You like this show. You go give the love back to them. Check them out. Funny, funny guys from New York. All right. Well, you know this next brand because they've been sponsoring this show since its inception. They've also put out my two albums, Danny Lobel, Some Kind of Comedian, and Danny Lobel, The Nicest Boy in Barcelona. They also put out a vinyl version of the first one, and they're all available at StandUpRecords.com. But let me give it to them. They know how to do it. Take a listen to this. Warning. Last year, over 40,000 Americans died in car-related accidents. Not a pleasant thought, is it? In fact, as thoughts go, it's downright depressing. Well, that's where we can help cheer you up. We're StandUpRecords.com, and we offer the finest in CDs, DVDs, downloads, and merchandise from the best comedians on Earth. Artists like Mark Maron, Maria Bamford, Eddie Pepitone, and Doug Stanhope. Available at fine record stores, Amazon.com, and the iTunes Music Store. That's StandUpRecords.com. Come on, listen to us while you're driving. Live dangerously. Stand Up Records, the brand you know, the brand you love. It's Stand Up Records, StandUpRecords.com. Go pick up some comedy albums today. All right, guys. I'm so excited for you to hear me talk to Tape Face, Sam Wills, a great act from New Zealand who is blowing up and taking the world by storm. These are all the things you always see, like these taglines. Do they work? Does anyone be like, oh, he's taking the world by storm. We, we got to catch that. Well, I'm telling you firsthand, this guy's fantastic. And I really, really loved talking to him, and I think you're going to love hearing it. One of the great talents out there today performing. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, except for the intro song, here it is, my talk with the one and only Tape Face, a.k.a. Boy with Tape on His Face, a.k.a. Sam Wills. Enjoy. Welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. Having been doing comedy for... 15 years, you don't see too many things that strike you as amazing. But when I was in Edinburgh doing the festival, I tried to see as many shows as I could. And I came up, I knew about you from America's Got Talent, but it was a taste. Okay. It wasn't really no, like. No, no, it doesn't really showcase the whole whole show, really. Everyone mm-hmm. they, they see those oven gloves and they go, how can you do a whole show? That's, right. That's nice and show. that's what I was wondering. I'm like, how can you do a whole show? Yeah, yeah. And then I went and I felt like. I've never got to see Andy Kaufman. Ah, of course. He was a, yeah, he is quite an influence on my stuff. Yeah, but I was like, this must have been close to what it was like because you make the audience feel like little kids. And yeah. I, and I love that. Oh, cool. Thank you. All right. I'm a, I'm a huge fan instantly. And uh, so when I ran into you in a bar and. Yeah, that's right. What was that? That was Abattoir Bar. That's yeah. Right. It was one of, that was actually one of the few nights out that I had. Yeah. I, I tended to mostly hide out during the festival. Oh, really? Yeah. So, yeah, you caught me on one of the few nights out. Why are you a hider? 
Uh, well, no, this year I was just head down trying to work because I'm trying to work on some new ideas and whatnot. And otherwise, if I go to the festival and have too much fun, I don't get anything done. <laughs> it's a good festival. <laughs> Makes it can sense. go one or two ways. It can go really fun festival and you can be broken by the end of it or you can treat it like the job and do a job. Real name, Sam Wills. Sam Wills. Not many people know that. Yeah, most N- people just call me tape face. Mm-hmm. Most people don't hear you talk. No, no one expects a New Zealand accent. <laughs> <laughs> so what was uh, life in New Zealand like? Uh, it was good. What era? What part? Well, early childhood. Part, early you, childhood. Um, when um, I think of New Zealand, I think of that movie, Search for the oh, Wilderness yeah, People. Tiger, Tiger, yeah, Yeah, it's an incredible film. That's really oh good. Oh, my God. That yeah. was such a good movie. But uh, I imagine, like, people in New Zealand live in the bush <laughs> and eat wild boars. Yeah, we still got horses and buggies here. <laughs> no, we've got a bit of civilization here and there. Um, no, my, my, my sort of New Zealand experience was I had a fairly normal, I want to say normal upbringing to a degree. Uh, I lived in the bottom of the South Island in Dunedin. Um, which was actually, yeah, so I sort of I had a very normal going to school, normal human life, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then things kind of changed when I was about 12, where we moved uh, for up north uh, to a small town called Timaru. Uh, and in Timaru, I, 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 and it was a going away present. When I left in Eden, one of my friends got me a going away present of a magic set. And that's what really started my career of sorts. Ah. So, so I got this magic set, moved to Timaru, where I, um, where I was homeschooled. from. Where I, I, yeah, that, so I suppose it wasn't too normal because I was also the bad kid at school. I was the naughty kid. At homeschool. At homeschool as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very much. I had to do detention. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I was kicked out of school and, and growing up at the age of 12. So we, we homeschooled. My brother and I were homeschooled in, in Timaru. And How'd so you get kicked out? I was just causing trouble. I, I don't like any sort of authority, which is kind of why I'm a clown now. It's kind of worked out no very kidding. well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you, my whole job is to undermine any sense of authority, so it made kind of sense. But yeah, I was just always causing problems. I always argue with teachers about opinions and ideas. They would always say, these are the rules. It's like, well, why? Why is that? Right. I'd always question a lot of that. Um, I got kicked out of class so many times and sent to the principal's office when I was in grade school that I actually made friends with the principal. <laughs> and and true story, 20 years later, he flew from New York to Los Angeles for my wedding. That's incredible. See, that, that's, a, that's a real education. Yeah. That's, a good, that's some good lessons. You probably got more lessons from the time with him than you would have in the actual class. That He's was a great thing. guy. Yeah. My only friendship was just from being kicked out of class. I'd yeah. get kicked out just to see him. Bonding and detention. <laughs> Next time I'm cracking skulls. <laughs> I was just telling my wife, I remembered recently one of the things I got kicked out of class for was I, I cat called the teacher like a cat, like, yeah. And she drove her nuts. I go, we used to hum. That was my one. I'd encourage the class to hum. Yeah. So the teacher would just be not knowing where the noise was coming from. We'd just try and make them go a wee bit insane. It's pretty cruel. It's like bullying of teachers. So it it's is, like the, yeah. And now that I'm fairly anti-bullying, it's like, oh, I was the asshole. But you, didn't, you <laughs> felt like the underdog anyway. Yeah, I think that was the thing. I think also because my, my brothers had previously before me, um, they were older brothers, so they had wound up the principal and the, the uh, deputy principal. So when I went to school, I remember that he pulled me aside and he went, you're a Wills. I know who you are. I'm watching you. And it's like, well, I'm screwed from the start. Yeah. You never, you never had a know, there's no way. That's it. So, so the rest of the brothers were already being homeschooled by that point. No, or? just yeah. The, the other brother had gone off to do a normal job and whatnot, and then yeah, my, my other brother Lenny, he we, he was homeschooled as well. So yeah. So you're youngest of three. Youngest of three, and then uh, he. Uh, so yeah, then homeschooling was fine, uh, but then I had this magic set, and that took all my interest really. So I, I would get all my homeschool lessons out of the way. I remember getting up really early, around six in the morning. I would do all of my school lessons, be finished by six, by seven thirty, eight o'clock, and I had the whole day free. So mm-hmm. that was my thing. 
thing. It's like if I can gain time, I can hang out. What did you love about magic? Uh, the, knowing the, the knowing the secret. I think that was the thing. Knowing and that became a, a little bit of knowledge. You know, knowledge is power. It was that thing of I now can trick somebody and I know how to trick them. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah, learning that. It's taking it to the next level. It is humming on the next. Oh level. yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm gonna wind someone up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was all of that, and then the. I don't know. I suppose it is that magic of that, that believing that I could do magic. I think as a kid going, I've made something disappear. The idea that, oh, I wish I could actually physically do that. Um, so, yeah, so, and again, just learning the tricks. And then also the skill, sitting down with a pack of cards and shuffling it for, you know, a thousand hours. Yeah. You know, that's that type of thing. I could never shuffle cards to this day. I, I, I get so frustrated when I try. I think my hands are just too big and clumsy. That's a good, they're a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> But then I ended up, the magic took, that was for a while, and then I um, I found out that in my local town we had a clown, a guy called Jaffa the Clown, John Martin. He was a, a cool dude. I stalked him. Found Is this out. when you moved? This, no, this, so we'd moved. I'd been living in the town maybe for about oh, six months to a year, mm-hmm. and then I stalked this clown. He was the one clown. Like, in the town of Timaru, there's 30,000 people. <laughs> yeah. He was the one local clown. I found out where he lived. I went around to his house, knocked on his door, and literally auditioned myself for How old there. were you? Would have been about 12 and a half, 13. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The wrong, the wrong age to be knocking on an adult's door, going, I want to come and work for you. Um, so what was that like? What, what, what was the experience? Were you nervous knocking on that door? I was pretty terrified, I remember, because I'd never met him before. It must have been pretty weird for him as well, because I think mm-hmm. the first thing he did was ring my parents. So, and my mum and dad had to come around and pick me up, and they had a conversation. But he, he clearly saw that I was keen on learning to be a performer and, and, and that sort of thing. So he took me under his wing and... And I, I became a clown. So that was kind of weird. But I was a clown who did magic. So yeah. I, I never had a clown name. I was just called Sam the Clown. Um, okay. and, so it's kind of, and he did his clown shows in like shopping malls. And he would, I would help him out with his routines and stuff. And then he would give me five minutes in the show where he would introduce me. I'd do a couple of magic tricks for the audience and then slowly get my stage time up and up. Wow. So that was the main thing that I did. But then the thing that he really taught me was he taught me how to juggle. And that, that's when the magic just went by the wayside and juggling became the new obsession. Why do you think you like juggling? Juggling because it's, um, again, another, it's a skill. Uh, it's fairly perfect to a degree because if you get it wrong, you know you've got it wrong. So it's, it's all about accuracy and movement. I think that's what I really liked about it. Is it therapeutic? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, juggling is majorly therapeutic. And also the other thing I liked about it was that I was useless at it. So it took me three months to learn how to juggle. <laughs> it was a good challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So I loved that. And then, again, it became a thing of going, I can do something that someone else can't. It's always that weird thing. I think maybe that was the other thing that I had, was that because I left normal school, so to speak, I had a real chip on my shoulder of I've got something to prove. And so I had to prove that I had a skill, that I had qualifications. And that went on later on in life. I remember still I had a thing where I had to win an award every single year. And that for me, that was my getting a qualification. Validating yourself. Absolutely. And I, I did that for like 10 years in a row until eventually I just went, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I can hold my own. I don't need a stupid bit of plastic trophy thing to go, yeah, you're doing great. Well done. Yeah. What, was there anything from clowning it's uh, comedy-wise that you learned that was surprising to you? Um, oh, the, the only major clown influence, that was a separate clown, and another clown incident, uh-huh. was a guy called Chris Caro, Carrot, the Carrot the Clown, and I did a double act with him. I'd been at the, I'd gone to a circus school, I'd done my training there, and I was, um, I was just stepping out of circus school, and I became a clown for him, so I was Sam Spud, and he was Carrot the Clown, and we did a double act in this one show, and I remember we had a rehearsal, 
And he yelled at me because I was just blocking him. I was just, no, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was just saying no to his ideas. And he just lost his shit at me. It was really funny because he's in full clown costume. <laughs> Nothing funnier than a clown <laughs> screaming at you. Just say yes to a fucking idea. Just, <laughs> just go with it. And it's like he had an orange carrot nose. And it's just like, this is <laughs> mental. And I remember being slightly terrified of it because I was still young at the time, new to performing. And so we did the show and I was just like, I'm going to say yes to everything because I don't know what he's going to do now. Uh-huh. So I was like, so we did. I said yes to every idea and it just ran with everything on stage. And, and it was just like, that was the really insightful moment for me because it was like, if you just go with it on stage, it works. Mm-hmm. You naturally find your way. Yeah. It was probably the first time you had to really succumb to authority. Oh, or- God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then my authority is a carrot clown. <laughs> a guy in an orange wig. <laughs> That's the authority I respect. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, that was a fairly big clowning moment for me, and that was like I learned more from that and from than any improv lesson. It was just one clown saying, but "Isn't that scream. the number one improv lesson?" Absolutely, but obviously during an improv lesson, that's the thing I'll ignore. <laughs> I, have to, I have to be rebellious. It's my yes. nature. I want to be rebellious. But yeah, what did your parents do? Uh, they have always been in the what, what do you call it over here? The antique industry, secondhand goods. So they used to do. We uh, my dad had various secondhand shops and and things. I remember we. Growing up, he would do. Uh, he would buy a house lot from a deceased estate. Mm-hmm. So we, as kids, I remember going into these dead people's houses, and we, my dad had just bought the whole house stuff. We'd get to run around, open drawers, and look for treasures and things like that. And yeah, yeah, it was good fun. That is fun. Yeah. I love going to garage sales. Oh god, yeah, we did that all the time. And then I remember, uh, yeah, we did all sorts of yeah. Every Saturday, going out and garage sailing and whatnot. You know, it really depresses me though when it's an old person's estate and that died. Yeah. There's, but you you get a bit numb to that. I remember going to one where my dad, I don't know why he did this, he bought somebody's pig collection, and essentially this old woman had collected ceramic pigs throughout her entire <laughs> life. She had about 3,000 of these things in the whole house. Yeah. And the husband, she had died, the husband was selling them. And so they, and he just, obviously he wanted rid of them. <laughs> Which is, must have been unfortunate for the last part of their marriage because yeah. he was in this house surrounded by pigs. My dad bought all of them, and my mum, I remember, was like, "We're never going to sell these pigs." Suddenly, <laughs> the shop was full of pigs, and then it might, they eventually slowly trickled out of the shop until the final pig was gone. So there was some sort of celebration. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Th- there's this feel. I mean, I guess when you go, you get numb to it. Obviously, after a while, like you said. But whenever I go. And L.A. from time to time, and it's a dead person, and all their stuff. It's like a company comes in and they sell off all their stuff, and they sell it off cheap. And oh, I just yeah. think, wow, this is how unimportant stuff is. Oh yeah, it's brutal. It's, it's incredibly brutal because yeah, you you invest so much personal interest into. Oh, I've got my favorite Converse shoes. I've had these for years. It's like, well, they're worth fifty cents. Get right, those they're rubbish. A yeah. week before, this meant everything to yeah. a person, and they held on to it for years. Yeah, yeah. Memories, memories. Somebody when you find somebody's memories box, it's like, oh, this is bleak. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my theater ticket stub from nineteen da da da. Oh man. Yeah. I've still, I've still got that crap around as well, and eventually somebody's gonna throw it out. It just gets wiped away yeah. it's like when letterman went off the air and they threw his set in the oh dumpster i was like what it's, yeah none of this is important it just it's just stuff stuff at the end Stuff's of the day not important yeah and i used to collect everything i used to have massive collections of all kinds of things as a kid because my dad always told us as kids because he's a photographer mm-hmm. and he struggled for income he's like i'm not gonna have anything to leave you guys all i have is these baseball cards from when i was a kid that might be worth money so I got it in my head, oh, well, if that could be worth money from when he was a kid, I better collect 
everything. everything. So when you're, you've got all that whole lot just in case yeah. you're sitting on the gold mine. So that was my backup plan. <laughs> I worked dog walking and just like around the clock for years and doing all kinds of stupid jobs, selling laser pointers on the boardwalk. And, and I just kept going and buying things at yard sales, anything old. I had amassed these massive collections of World War II stuff and Beatles memorabilia and comic books. And then a hurricane came and oh, destroyed all of it a few years ago. That's brutal, yeah. And uh, and then I just realized, okay, it was kind of it kind of freed me up a little bit. It was like, I guess I better make show business work. <laughs> you got forced, <laughs> your hand forced on that one. Yeah, I I, so I go on a regular purge every now and then. I just I get rid of all of my stuff. I think touring has really helped me with that as well because when you live in a hotel room out of a backpack, like that's the thing. I normally my I prioritize my show over clothing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like as long as my show gets traveling with me. So my show tends to take up about three suitcases, twenty three kgs or fifty pounds, whatever that it is. Uh, and then I tend to live out of a backpack or half a suitcase of stuff. And so when you realize how little clothing you need and also what stuff you really value, yeah. it's like yeah. Although, admittedly, I have started now traveling with a PlayStation 4, <laughs> which is ridiculous that I value that more than clothing. <laughs> yeah. Are you – you're a single guy? Uh, I've got a girlfriend, separated from wife, but now with a new partner. Oh, okay. Because, yeah. I mean, you seem like just a free-spirited, uh, like, on the road. No, no, not tattoos, at all. Tattoos, piercings, <laughs> live out of a bag. Like, you seem like – it's li- know, I'm living the life living, of it, yeah. yeah. No, no, I've got my world of, you know, financial commitments and burdens and depression. <laughs> 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 That's fine. Well, at least you project this image of oh, freedom. Oh, yeah, I'll fake it till you make it. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you don't want to be there when the laughter stops. <laughs> and then he turned the gun on himself. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's hard being on the road depression-wise. Whenever oh, I'm yeah. on the road, I get depressed, especially if my wife's not with me. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's why my, my new girlfriend has said it's all about sharing. I want to, I want someone to share the experience with. When uh, I, I previously used to go out on tour, uh, it, it was very lonely. I'd go out with a technician, and then you'd just do the shows, and then you go back to the hotel room, and you go, wow, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, yeah, now traveling and touring is, is way more fun and exciting. And, and, yeah, you share it. You share the experiences. I always think it's funny, you know, as the performer – Everybody thinks he's got the life. And when you're up there, you're thinking, hey, I'll get to go home and have a life, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. One day this gets to stop and you start the life. <laughs> so yeah. Everybody's just looking at each other like, did they figure it out? Oh, yeah. The grass is always greener. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like you had a pretty magical childhood. It was no yeah, pun intended yeah, on yeah, that it one. It was it was di- a wee bit more different than more normal and whatnot. I suppose because then also after I did the juggling stuff, I, I became doing street performing, and then that's where I really developed my sort of act and and upbringing, and also my sort of performing family. Really, street performers. How did that begin? Uh, because there's no work in New Zealand. So yeah, I finished studying at the circus school because I, I, I juggled with this clown for a few years and then uh, I, I just you know, became a good juggler. My, I ended up dropping out of school. I dropped out of homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped out of homeschool to take up juggling and I had very understanding parents who let me do it. Uh-huh. But the agreement was that if, they, that if I left my high school education, I had to get a juggling education. That is a deal that almost no parent would make. I know. I can't believe, in hindsight, I can't believe they did it. It's insane. It's like Sam, sh- sit down. <laughs> you want to do this? You're going to have to get a strong juggling education. <laughs> like how, that doesn't help anyone. It really doesn't. You need to learn this and this and this. Like, All right. I think they just wanted to keep me kind of focused on one thing. It's like, yeah. well, he's showing interest in this. We might as well run with it. I don't think they were ready for how committed I was suddenly going to get to it. Yeah. So they maybe like um, for me, it's like the six major props is what they're clubs, balls, rings, Diablo, devil sticks, cigar boxes. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn the history of all these props where they originated from and then master the basic skills of those. 
So then when I went to the circus school, I had the basic skills already set, and then I just got it brought up another level. What is circus school like? In circus school, it was cool. The New Zealand one was fairly new and fresh, so they weren't like, there was no traditional belt, so it was all new circus. So it was pretty loose around the edges, I suppose. That, that was pretty fun, but they were really building... In hindsight, they really built more street performers than cabaret performers. Like in my year of the circus school, there are still really good street performers banging around the world who will come from that one year of circus school. So it's a year-long thing? Uh, three years it's, three it's years. now. But oh, no, I think this is, uh, funnily enough, I think it's closed. The circus school ran out of, <laughs> ran out of clowns. Oh. Uh, but I did two years. I studied for two years, so I did, I've got a diploma in new circus. Mm. That means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I ended up teaching there afterwards because I, I, they, they, the juggling tutor dropped from the show, uh, from the from the school, and then uh, they asked if I'd stay on and teach. What's it? What's a day in circus school? Is it like a day uh, in any college? Uh, yeah, kind of. No, it's more like a day in a, a gym, really. So you you go in not eight in the morning. You do a, a workout till nine thirty, and then you'll do your first class. My because I majored in juggling, I'd have the morning juggling for two hours. Then there'd be a lunch break, and then we would either do one sort of a, a pra uh, practical theory kind of lesson where we would learn about either small business or study clowning or study miming or the history of performing and go through that sort of stuff and then in the afternoon you'd study your minor so I minded in acrobatics so there'd be an acrobatics class and then you choose modules of clowning or mime and that sort of thing so it's pretty busy but good fun did yeah. you have a favorite subject in juggling school? juggling was always going to be my thing okay what about second favorite then second favorite would have probably been acrobatics because I was lucky that I had two friends in the school Nathan and Aaron and Nathan was a trained acrobat he was like a gymnast and he, he could come in and do it was phenomenal and then Aaron was a just a no, no, weed smoking student from Dunedin who could he self taught acrobatics on the beach. Okay. So I had both of their influences. So I had all the technique drilled at me from Nathan, and then Aaron just going, Yeah, just do it. Come on, just try it. Just <laughs> jump off this building, do a backflip. And that type of thing was really good. Sounds so, really fun. It was really fun. It was really good. And and I made some really good friends through it and still see them and talk to them now, which is nice. Are there classes like like uh, circus theory and yeah, there was all that sort of that. Like we, who did we study? We studied various other jugglers, and we'd watch videos. It was it, it was so much better now because you've got YouTube. That was the thing. Mm -hmm. So we we had these old VHS tapes of street performers from Covent Garden. I remember watching them and just going, "Oh, this is amazing!" And one day I want to do that. I feel like that's even cooler than YouTube, though, because yeah. it's like somebody's got oh, contraband. Yeah, it's a hand you know? down. It's, yeah, somebody's stolen this video. <laughs> yeah. They've secretly filmed it, and it's getting handed around, and all the lines are getting shared amongst other street performers. He's busking lines so so yeah so I, I ended up doing the, the the juggling and teaching there for a couple of years and then obviously when I finished there there's no work so I was like what can I do we did I did a couple of little fringes with some friends we did some fringe shows but then it was like well I need to pay rent what am I going to do mm -hmm. and then you see the the I, there were other street performers doing their thing making money so, so this I, is in New Zealand this is in New Zealand and Christchurch is that a main city or? yeah it's one of the major cities it's okay. the the yeah it's a, the middle of the South Island and it's probably Christchurch I would say is the busking capital of New Zealand so that's the, the best place to street perform. That's the, cool. I love hearing things like busking. The capital. busking capital in New Zealand. <laughs> it's not so much now because there has been the earthquake, but it's it's getting rebuilt and it's slowly coming back together. And it's still home of the busking festival every year. They have this really really good kick ass busking festival. It's great fun. I did a little street performing in New York. Oh, okay, that's tough. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was people. I don't know if it was the same way in New Zealand, but people are are, are aggressive about their spots. Oh yeah, oh they're absolutely. London's more aggressive than Christchurch. Oh no, we did have a little pitch war. We used to do a thing where you had to queue up in Christchurch. So we and, and like there was only about eight of us, and so you'd have to queue up first there in the morning. You got first show. That was the rule. So you choose. Well, I'm here first. I'm going to take the one o'clock show. Mm -hmm. But what happened was we all started turning up stupid early, like four in the morning, and we're all sitting there and. We're 
just like, this is dumb. We're now hanging out for eight hours before our show. This mm-hmm. is stupid. So eventually you develop that, you know, then you go back to a draw. So you have a certain time, you put your you know, a number in, you draw out your lot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it can get really aggressive. I remember in London when I was street performing on South Bank, we, we the circle shows, because there's circle shows and then there's statue acts, we'd always refer to the statue acts as crate slugs because all they do is they slowly move on a crate and that's their thing. It's like, da, that's not an act. <laughs> so I, a real I, hierarchy. I suppose it's like stand-up comics looking at prop comics. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a whole treatment for a movie about a, a human statue and I, I, I pitched it around to some people I know in L.A. that are in the movie business and they all said, nobody wants to see a human statue movie. But I think it's great. It's just a guy who just just stays still, st- stands there. <laughs> it's pretty good. I can't be. You know, there are, there are some really good ones out there. The downside is that there's also so many crap ones. But then that's like any sort of street performer or performer in general. There's a world of shit comics out there. Yeah, you know, a few films shine. But I do remember on the South Bank. I remember seeing, and again, there are those ones who stand there just in a big costume and they think that's the act. I remember seeing there was a guy in a Mickey Mouse costume and then another Mickey Mouse came down and it was, oh, well, kicked off. So these two Mickey Mickey mice were having this fight. One guy grabbed the head of the other mouse, took it off and threw it in the Thames. Funniest thing I've ever seen. Funniest thing. It was without a doubt great. So good. But yeah, turf wars, street performing turf wars. So yeah, it can, get, it can get a bit aggressive. Yeah, I was in the subways in New York doing uh, mouth trumpet. Okay, and uh, and then I have like other guys, but like, this is my spot, man. And, and I've been working here for this long. You know, just, yeah, they get really see about it. And the best, my favorite moment of of any of it, I could, first of all, I could only do half hours at a time before I'd lose my voice, so I'd have to do half hour. Yeah, and I was making consistently about fifteen dollars per half hour. Which Good. Yes, yeah, so I do a half hour, take an hour off, spend the fifteen dollars, <laughs> and then go back again and repeat. <laughs> yeah. But but the best thing that happened to me once was uh, this New York. Well, obviously New York cop because everybody there who's a cop is a New York, New York cop. cop true. But uh, a very New York cop comes up to me if, if you get what that means, and he's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I, I go, "What?" He goes, you, "You can't do that here." I go, "What, what can I do here?" What whatever that is, you can't do that. <laughs> he didn't know what it was. Whatever you're doing, you cannot do that. <laughs> just that that it's the law. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why? Why not? Who says you can't do this? And and he just got, he's just like, ah. Ah. and he just walked away like this is too much for him. I this is late. <laughs> I had a New York cop come up to me in the airport as I was flying back after the tour, and again it was the same thing. The, the, the epitome of a New York cop. He just came up to me and goes, "Hey." You fucking tape face it. And it's like, I will be anything you want, dude. <laughs> it's just like, Lee, don't, I don't know. But it was the, the, it was the most aggressive, nice hello you gave me. It was like, oh, handshakes, nice. It was like, wow, that was such a full on approach. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You fucking you tape fucking face. face. No, I don't know. Weird. But yeah. <laughs> But yeah, street performings are fun. Again, that was a, 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 I suppose that was almost like my university degree of performing because I've always thought of street performing. It's like the um, the bungee jumping equivalent of comedy. It's like you start, there's no audience. It's really rough. And also because when I moved from uh, New Zealand to London, I had to change my show dramatically. My show died on its ass in London. Why? Just, just because I think in New Zealand, we're, we're maybe New Zealanders are happier to watch anything on the street to a degree because there's no, no other competition. But also in London, it's like New York. People are 
busy. People got shit to do. So, so if you're trying to stop them, you've got to be interesting and good. You had to raise your voice comedically. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was full on. So I had this one little suitcase of what I thought was a good show, but then that was also a good education as well because I didn't have any other props. Mm -hmm. So I would do this show, I'd lose half my audience, I'd make five pounds, and I'd sit back and go, right, I've got two other acts before me, so mm -hmm. I've got 90 minutes to rewrite my show with the only props I have, shuffle it up again and go back out and try it. And eventually I found a format which was good, and then I took it up to the Fringe Festival because, again, when I first went to Edinburgh Fringe, I was just busking, hanging out. And I remember another street performer said to me, he said he really enjoyed my street show because he said it looked like I knew what I was doing, <laughs> but it also looked like I had no idea as <laughs> well. It's like, I get great. That, I cool. get what that means. That's, yeah. That's really probably the best compliment you can get because where it it's good enough that it's almost polished. Yeah, but but, just but also it almost around. feels spontaneous yeah. and like ooh. But that became my then style. That was the thing is to to try and hang on to that as I got better and better was that thing of going right. How can I craft moments where things can go wrong? So that that became one of the the lead things of my finale to my street show was my my big street show is like a, a thing called a roller bowler. It's a big box with a tube, another big box. I stand on top of that and I'm juggling two fire clubs and a massive machine. And I found a way that I could time it that the fire would always go out. And it was just this thing where suddenly I'm rolling on this tube. I can't do the finale. I've got to get people to help me out. It's all gone terribly wrong. And then the audience help and save the day. Yeah. And every time the audience are going, oh, we saw a spontaneous moment. And then they see it again. And they go, oh, this is not so spontaneous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the trick, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, that's really, you know, that sums up, I think, a lot of what was cool about the show, too, is it. It yeah, does have that feel of like there's anything can happen kind yes. of thing. But realistically, I've seen probably every option of what can happen. Only every now and then do things really surprise me, which and, is quite fun. Oh, yeah? Like what's the last well, time? Well, the last time something really surprised me was here in Vegas. And I was doing the – I do a routine, a stripper routine. So I get a guy up on stage. I put him in overalls, a shirt, and a high-vis vest. And I put a hard hat on him. I sit in the audience. Yeah. And then Tom Jones, you can leave your hat on plays. And then this <laughs> poor guy, he's got to take the costume off. Right. So even if he reluctantly <laughs> takes it off, the audience <laughs> lose their shit like he's the greatest trip <laughs> in the world if he moves in any slight dancing fashion they yeah. just go nuts for it which is great so I did this one show here in Vegas and 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 the guy I chose he was cool I got him dressed up mm -hmm. I sat down the music played and his wife leaned across to me and just went how did you know and he was an ex-stripper and he dropped a four-minute routine <laughs> on the audience and it was like this is amazing <laughs> so everything just looked so choreographed and incredible the audience lost their shit even I was losing my shit just going this is great it's <laughs> one of the early pieces in your show that what you're describing now yes because well the show you saw as well that's a, a hybrid because I've got multiple versions of mm -hmm. the show yeah that's the other weird thing about this one when I saw your show that that was one of the first things you did, and the guy went up there uh, with the helmet on, the and he sold it so hard that I was like, "Does he have plants?" He's a plant, yeah. Like, a lot of people have... think that, yeah, but no, I've never no fake volunteers. Everyone's a, a normal human being, which yeah, is that really came, nice. That came across as the show went on, but I was like, "Oh wow!" The more I saw other people go up there, the more I was like, "Damn, that first guy really committed." Really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I've only ever had one guy freeze. That was in the comedy store in London, and the guy just froze on stage there was nothing, nothing what do you do to save it i it took me a minute to realize what the hell was going on and mm -hmm. it was this thing going oh he's he's panicked okay this is cool so i just went up on stage and we sort of gave him a huge round of applause we got the costume off and then yeah. we just moved on to the next thing and my my thing was that i didn't want to draw attention to it because he was it was bad for him and he was fine after the show he just went 
something happened he didn't know what to do and then he just panicked and it was like okay it doesn't matter it's fine show was all good <laughs> it's so cool that you kind of created a show that's also a show for you to watch oh yeah but then that was again one of the reasons i wanted to find a way for the audience to entertain themselves yeah so, so the show came about tape face because my old show when i when i moved from doing street performing the only reason i got into comedy was there was a comedian in the uk called jared christmas and he ran he was in christchurch as well he ran the local comedy club in like a bar mm-hmm. and a comedian canceled on him last minute and so he rang me up and he's like can you come down and do some tricks i need 20 minutes of tricks can yeah. you do it fill the gaps like yeah all right can i and i remember saying to him can i do fire inside and he's like no you can't do fire you idiot come on down do some stuff and so i just bought a suitcase of crap down and yeah. went through a tennis racket nails up nose and that sort of shop it was very jim rose circus sideshow influenced as well real spooky lots of talking and so I did that so when I moved into comedy like after doing that. It was like, wow, an audience who have paid to go inside, they're, they're a lot easier. That's <laughs> <laughs> a sudden dawning of, oh, they're, they're already there. That's yeah. great. So, um, so I did that for years. I did this show called Dance Monkey Dance, which I wrote, which is kind of like a life story show. Uh, it's, it's weird to have one of your first shows be your autobiograph- autobiography show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was about me, my feeling of being a dancing monkey. And yeah. so then, then everyone sort of said, well, you know, can you, can you keep doing these shows where you're going to do these tricks? And it's like, you've missed the point of the show. I don't <laughs> want to be a dancing monkey. Yeah. So then Tape Face was the whole, you know, the idea was to go, how can I get a show where I can let the audience be the monkey? Yeah. And I make them. I remember one of the original versions, I wanted to slowly get a guy dressed as me throughout the show till eventually I would finish by putting tape on his face and then I'd walk off. <laughs> and that was the plan. <laughs> is to re- I wanted to replace myself on stage and then just leave them to it. It's that same through line of being rebellious to like you <laughs> you rebelled against like a regular life by becoming a performer and then you're like I don't even want to be the performer yeah, I'm sick of this. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I also you know I rebelled also because I completely lost faith in performing I remember doing comedy in New Zealand and then just going I am not interested in this I don't know why but I just lost all all interest in it and um, all belief in it as well I just think that there was nothing going on I was just doing the same just treading water so for that that was the reason why I moved to London to be a street performer it's a horrible feeling. I remember I was touring in the UK doing, you know, jonglers are. Oh yeah, they just closed. Oh yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> good. <laughs> need it. Yeah, they need they, to they, happen. Back in the heyday, they were a great club, but then they just became all about group bookings. Yeah, yeah, I never was there in the heyday. Then when I was there, it was all stag and hen yep. parties, which <sighs> horrible for U.S. Yeah. people. That is bachelor and bachelorette parties, uh, yeah. and I I thought I was going out to the UK in my head, you know. I, you glorify yourself. Yeah, I was. I was like, I'm a. I'm a young John Lennon. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going out to the UK, and I'm gonna. Smash I'm gonna this. be. A, yeah. Uh, I had it all in my head. I'm gonna be counterculture. I'm gonna. You know. I'm gonna go, and then, and then there I am, like playing these corporate gigs, basically uh, yeah. corporate gigs and jonglers, and I was getting more and more depressed. And I remember I was in. Uh, oh, what was the name of that city? Leeds. Leeds. Uh, and I was um, at the Jonglers in Leeds. With two really funny other comics that I knew from Scotland, and I'm in the green room, and I just didn't want to do my act, and I go up there, and I bombed because I had no interest in, in like, yeah, I'm doing I, it. I sold there. nothing. Yeah, and they both were like, like looking at me in the green room. I remember like. Does this guy suck now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how to look at him anymore. <laughs> and I got like all philosophical on them, and I was just like, "What is the point of this and everything?" And I was kind of hoping to go deep, and they were just like, "All right, buddy, whatever you're." Yeah, but there, there, again, but there are some there are some good comics out there who that's they nail that audience. They can go yeah. out there and they can smash a drunk bachelor party, drunk boom, I don't know whatever. It's just yeah, that that's what they like, and I suppose that can be. 
you know, there, that's consistent money as well. If people don't want to do it, then they'll pick up the bits and go out there. I yeah. don't want to do it. But that was the beginning of like a, a several month, at least maybe even a year crisis for me where I was just like, maybe I don't want to be a performer anymore. I just didn't. Yeah, you lose the love. Yeah, yeah absolutely. If you lose love for it, then you got to re- reevaluate. So yeah, I, it happens. I, thankfully, I got it back, but I just it was it, it was a long road. Yeah. See, for me, my thought process was not to just give up, but to just go back a step. So I was like, right, I went from street performing into comedy. So obviously, I screwed up one step somewhere. So I go back to being a street performer and relearn it, and then try and take a different step forwards and see if it works. Or just go back and it was like, I remember being happy as a street performer. Oh, I'm gonna go to that. <laughs> go to the thing that made me happy. Yeah. So yeah, so you relearn the craft, I suppose. I suppose that is a hard thing to do is to go into something again without a preconceived idea. How do you do the trick where you put nails up your nose? You brought that up a minute uh, ago. That's a, just, a, and again, that was one I learned just from street performing with other friends. It's just the natural nasal cavity that's there. Everyone thinks it goes up into the head, just goes over the roof of the mouth. It's just, I learned it using cold spaghetti. Uh-huh. So, oh yeah, but this should probably have a warning. Don't try this at home. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, I got cold spaghetti, snorted that up my nose and coughed it out my mouth, like one of those uh-huh. uh, mental floss things. Mm-hmm. And then I got one of those modeling balloons that clowns use. I, I, I lubed that up and then popped that into my nose, snorted it up and then coughed down my nose, mouth, same thing, and then I popped a four-inch nail inside the balloon to uh-huh. act like a rubber little condom of safety, yeah. so I could feel where it was going, and then got used to the sensation of a hard object and my nose kind of thing, and then I eventually upgraded to just putting the nail in, and then it just becomes nice and open. Like I, yeah. I haven't done it for a while. Like the balloons, I can do it, but it's just it feels awful now. But I used to do a power drill. I used to have somebody from the audience hold a power drill, and I could lower my face onto it. Wow! I, I gave them a lot of trust. Then <laughs> hold yeah. the power drill. Please stay very still. <laughs> you reminded me of a story when I was street performing. I met this, like, I think he was Ukrainian, this tall guy named, he called himself the screwdriver. Okay. And he only had one trick, and that is that he could take a screwdriver and put it up his nose. It's and a trick. <laughs> my, my, my friend, Maddie Goldberg, who's been on this show as a past guest, go check out his episode, listeners. Um, and I were, we were roommates in Brooklyn, and I knew that he had a date over the house that night. And I decided to have a little fun, and I brought, I, I gave the screwdriver a few bucks to get on the train with me and go into Brooklyn from the city and do a private show for <laughs> Maddie and his girlfriend, which pissed him off to no end. He just wanted because he, he, wanted he said, "Hey, are you going to be out tonight? Because I want to have the place." And I brought back. You bring a circus freak back home. Hey, look what I found! Look at this. <laughs> but they sat there in our living room, and this guy did a full show of just putting screwdrivers and other stuff up his nose. <laughs> The finale is a screwdriver. I think he starts with a nail. Yeah, and like, building up to it. There's and Maddie still brings it up. He's like, what the fuck Why was did you wrong do with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I never learned, which I regret, is sword swallowing. I tried. I gave it three solid attempts, but it's just disgusting. That is that terrible. horrible when it goes wrong? I, I never got that far. I remember getting like a, I got told, use a coat hanger, bending out a coat hanger and covering it in oil and every morning just shoving it down your throat to go and break your gag reflex. I don't know if that's the right way to do it, but that's the way I was told. Mm-hmm. And it was revolting. And I just went, ah, I'm not committed to this. Because it, it makes you puke? <laughs> yeah, it just makes you feel sick. You just want to throw up until eventually you're shoving something down your throat going, ah, 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 and yeah. get past that and keep going. I just, I've always thought it looks cool. It, it looks. It neat. does look cool. Great skill, yeah, but I just don't have the patience for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, I feel like pretty warmed up. How about you? All right, I'm set, I think. Yeah? Step it up. <laughs> Here we go. All right, you ready to do this, philosopher? All right, let's go. <laughs> All right. I think, therefore, I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, the philosopher that Alex picked out for you is Alexis D. Tocqueville. I'm sure that I'm saying that wrong. 
but it's T-O-C-Q-U-E-V-I-L-L-E. I love that guy. You know him? No idea at all. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea either. He must be good. <laughs> yeah. But what Alex says you guys have in common is, he says, tape face wears tape over his mouth, so I found a philosopher of censorship. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> All right, you, you started laughing at the first part. Yeah, there. yeah, that was all right, guys. That's a philosophy of censorship. Yeah. Do you think of yourself as someone who self censors? Um, no, not really. In some cases, I probably don't censor myself enough. Yeah, I probably get in trouble for saying the wrong thing. Yeah. But it is interesting that, that you have put tape over your mouth and decided to do a show where you silence yourself. Yeah, true. But then I'm in the show context. I'm the only one who knows what's going on. Right. So then my job is to educate everyone else or get involved in my game. So that's that thing. Then everyone else is, is out of control, and I'm the only one who's controlling it. Yeah. So I suppose yeah, in that case, I am the one censoring it. Ugh. It's interesting. Hmm. And it's really also not. interesting that you never thought about it. Like no, that. I never really put it in that context. I suppose there is always. Occasionally, I, I, I get used. I, I recently got used as a screen grab for something where it's like censorship. Oh, and there's my image. It's just like, huh. don't put me on this thing. I don't want to censor this. I'm, <laughs> and I, the whole idea of yes, I suppose my voice has been silenced, but at the same time, everything else has been heightened and pushed out. Like I've. It's weird that I've got more of a voice now because of being a silent character. Yeah. <laughs> on, you know, on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook, I can connect with way more people just by being a silent character. When did you first put the tape on? 2005, I gaffer taped up. And it was just, again, it was a rebellious act against being a comedian, and I just wanted to prove a point that I could do a show without talking. Mm -hmm. And so, so that was the way to do it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I couldn't shut up. That was the other thing. My original <laughs> character that I developed, I walked on stage and I just, I had just no tape mm -hmm. and I ruined it within a minute by talking to the front row because I was way out of my depth. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. <laughs> and, okay. so, and then I came back the next night and the guy said, you know, the, the only way I could do a silent character is if I gaffer tape my mouth shut. It's like, okay, we'll try it out. And we put it on in the green room. It looked funny. It's like, okay, we'll try that. And that it was, is amazing that it took you being quiet to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and I, and I really have got a voice and I do get to say things. And it's also it's through this character that it's made me even more aware of who I am. And found, I found myself to a degree from it. How so, so? In the sense of it made me comfortable with who I am. Like I got this whole thing, and I, th I think through America's Got Talent, it really boosted the profile. And the moment you get that amount of attention on you, you have to be start. You start becoming very aware of everything you say and every opinion you have, and and you get scrutinized for it all. So my my thing was all about. I, I became very quick to realize that I enjoy being weird. I'm I'm comfortable being weird. So then the catchphrase of the show was like "Stay weird," and the only reason it became "Stay weird" was because it was that realization for me that this can be normal. Putting tape on your face can be a normal thing to do. You don't mm -hmm. have to talk to people. It's not a thing that you you don't you know you can you know choose not to talk to anyone if you want. And so I had all these various teenagers and adults and every person left, right, and center contacting me, going, "I can totally relate to you as a character. I totally get you. I, I feel the same way that I, I go days without talking to people. And it's like cool. That's fine. You know, just be yourself. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it definitely um. Yeah, it made me realize that I, had, I became very comfortable with who I am. And also, if I'm telling so many people around the world, yeah, just be yourself and whatnot, and then I wasn't being true to myself, then I'm, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's why in some cases I don't feel so censored anymore that like, like the tape did really bring out the true personality of me. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I'll go back to your show. A lot of, the, the show yeah. that I saw anyway, you just kept repeating the same announcement of be aware be aware yeah that was a fun one be aware was a uh i don't know why that came in what was that about and i think in some cases i kind of made this show that that show you saw 
pretty weird anyway. Like there was another announcement of band in three countries. Like the, the opening mm-hmm. montage music thing was really strange. And we just recorded this fun thing where I've done it. We did a video of my friend David Young, who does all the design and branding of Tate Face. He made a cool promo video of Tate Face for me just clicking a remote over. And then just these images popped up of band in three countries. Um, yeah, be aware. Um, what is it? Careless, careless words cost lives. And just uh-huh. all these weird announcements. So I really like the idea of that. And I also had another announcement, it's only cheese. Because I've recently started <laughs> posting just pictures of cheese on Facebook because I find Facebook completely ridiculous. So I thought, I'm just going to post cheese. And so I have you know, various cheese things. Yeah. But yeah, be aware was just that thing of going, yeah, just you should, yeah, you should be be aware. I, I thought it was pretty profound, though, because I, I it kept replaying, in, yeah. be aware, be, be aware. aware. Yeah. And then it would say, be aware the tape face show is going to start in 20 minutes. Yeah, or, there was or that 10 threatening minutes. countdown. I think the right. other, the, the bigger version of the show, because you saw what uh, it's essentially the Reader's Digest version, the full show that was in London and the West End is, is possibly the best thing I've ever made in my life. It's, it's the way that the show should be seen. Mm-hmm. And it's got, it's got that full set. And it has the storyline, and it's all about uh, Tateface arrives backstage. the The show's not going to start. He sits down, he falls asleep, and then throughout that first half, uh, the various announcements of the show's getting ready, and you cut back and you see Tateface asleep, and then in the dream, Tateface is doing the show that he's thinking about doing, um, ah. going in there. And then what happens in the second half is Tateface falls into deep sleep, and then he realizes that he's asleep and he has to wake up to get to the show. So that th- that threatening countdown comes even more threatening and becomes really. You know, it becomes that panic thing of Tateface has 10 minutes to wake up before he can't, and there's a real tension there. So I really, really enjoy that. Maybe I saw Inception too many times. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when I saw your show, yeah, when I saw your show and I, and, I, and I heard the Be Aware a bunch of times, it hit me. And when I was walking around Edinburgh, and we kind of live in this time where terrorist attacks happen all the oh, time. Yeah. Be aware. I just kept thinking, that's his message. Just be aware. Well, maybe it could be. I know. Yeah, you're being aware of everything. But then also, that the same could be said as a character. I have to be aware of where are the opportunities, where are the people. So I'm, I'm, as you know, one of the reasons why my eyes are so wide is that I'm trying to see everything at once in an audience. Who's moving? Who's doing what? Who's wearing what color costume? Who's got a certain hairstyle? Who's got this? And Mm -hmm. and then choosing my volunteers. And and it did read like that too. That was I was going to say. The second thing is, I started thinking. I like the message of be aware in terms of just like. Be aware of everything. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily of the show, like yeah, you just no, said, yeah, but just I was just to, like, yeah, to take time and stock and take take what is it? Yeah, take stock and appreciate the moment. Yeah, I, I had a friend message me on Instagram. Um, yeah, Emily, she sort of sent through this really good message of she reminds me every now and then to go take time to appreciate just the little moments. Just you know, I have to stop occasionally and just pause and be in a moment with a cup of coffee, and that's really important. And I'm I'm slowly getting better at that. It's taken me a long time to switch off because I normally spend all my time touring doing shows and I'm so caught up in the shows, shows, shows. That's so now I've made it a new rule in my life. Whenever I finish a season of shows, I have to have one week off. I'm not allowed to book shows, not allowed to do anything because I have to appreciate the work I've done has brought me this one week of time. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm just relentlessly, you know, I'm a master to my show, but I'm also a slave to my show. I don't want right. to be there. So I need to find the way to get the reward from the show. So whether that be, cool, I've got a week of playing PlayStation. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate that moment. Yeah. It's definitely the empty space that makes you appreciate the, the full space. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing I was thinking of is when you put the tape over your mouth, from that point, from the day that you put the tape on, mm-hmm. Did it force you to be more conceptual? Um, oh, I don't know. In what way? In what, what sort of example? Well, I thought like a lot of the pieces in your show were great concept pieces. And I was like, 
thinking, I was talking to my wife afterwards, it's like, how do you write that stuff? Like, okay, I know how to write yeah. jokes and stories and stuff, but I was like... I suppose it does. The the down Like, I'm currently trying to write a new show at the moment, and it's killing me. It's full on. Like, the last time I wrote a new joke was about four years ago. So it's like, I'm, start, I'm trying to relearn, how do I write this stuff? Right, like and I I'm, said, it's a different part of the brain. Yeah, so I mean, what I did was, I've got the... The way Tape Face sort of grew, is like, I wrote a first show. The first show came about just naturally, because it was a joke. That was the thing. It was never meant to be taken seriously. <laughs> so I wrote, like, mm -hmm. five minutes, and it was ten minutes, and then suddenly I had an hour of material. So it's like, cool, that's a show. Then the second show I wrote, uh, I literally booked it into a comedy festival in Australia, and I had three months to write a show. So I locked myself in a room for a month, went mental, and, and suddenly came out of it and went, I think there's a show here. And then we took it over there and, and sort of ran it out, and it worked. But then when I look back on it, I don't remember how to write it. I don't remember how the ideas came about or what was the process. So then I did an artist in residency where I tried to document the whole process. So I filmed every concept of me talking to a camera going, I'm thinking about this prop, this is what I'm doing to it, and I just vocalized the whole process. Mm -hmm. And I came out of that month with essentially four minutes of material. And it's like, that was a real, like, pulling teeth. It was horrible. And so for me, when I'm being more conceptual about an idea, and also with Tape Face, I write shows for myself in the show. So I, I, like, recently, like, I've written the whole show for the third show, and it's all there. The only thing that's now missing is the comedy. <laughs> so there's this whole wonderful dark story of, of that I've got of uh, reality calling and the eye of the storm. And again, appreciating the moment. Yeah. The, the threats that are coming into the show are really, really good. But the problem is, is that the audience don't want to watch that. So now I need right. to hide all of that with and, the comedy. Yeah, you just yeah. got to give them the shit they want Absolutely, so you can do yeah. the shit you want to do. So it's like even with yeah. the, when I did the second show, the second show, which is uh, a kind of version of the one that you saw, it's a, the threat is a, is a red button. I push a red button. Oh, a volunteer will push a red button and it starts a countdown, a T minus 60 minutes and counting. Mm -hmm. So what the, what the process of that for me was to um, – I wanted to have a moment. So my moment, the show starts with a countdown and then the show begins. And then at the end of the show, after this guy has this button thing, blah, 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 there's a countdown throughout. Then there's another 10 second countdown and the guy has his moment at the end of the show. So his moment only lasts about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the thing was, yes, you get your magical moment, but my magical moment has just lasted an entire hour. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's that. It's that same attitude. Well, which like, works. I mean, it's, it's yeah, But you're in constant conflict with everybody involved. <laughs> absolutely. Everyone's an enemy. Everyone's an enemy. God, now that you're pointing it out, it's bleak. <laughs> Tapeface keeps people at bay. Just enough. Just enough. There is a definite fuck you element in your writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is, I think. There absolutely is. <laughs> tape face is always going to be doing that. But Secretly it, swearing under the tape. That is a... <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Goes back to that. Also, another notion of uh, very Andy Kaufman. Uh, oh, yeah. He completely messed with his audience all yeah. the time. That was the fun stuff to do. Yeah. It, it's both sides of it. It's that yeah. make them feel like kids and also mess with them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Again, for me, I, I don't want to mess with them too far. I do also... I, I tend now... I don't refer to myself as a comedian. I'm sure a few people out there also don't refer to me as a comedian. <laughs> um, I, I always say I'm an entertainer because that just grays it out completely. So it means that I can have moments in the show where I can. There's another routine in this show where I, I just make a rose. I make a rose out of tape. And it's just a beautiful moment to a beautiful song. And it's like there's no no comedy there. It's just a, a here's a little skill and it's a sweet moment. Yeah. So I, I enjoy that sort of thing as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I suppose it is about moments, making little moments. Yeah, it's. It, it, I think – at the heart of what you're doing is just beautiful performance mm. art, but then you, you have to sell it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I'm trying to think of other ways that it can be viewed as censorship. I'm trying to go back to that. So bugging on me. Who self-censors? 
Hmm. Don't know. Well, that's going to sit on me for a couple of days now. Yeah. I'm going to email you later going, you've ruined this. <laughs> I hope not. No, I hope not as well. It's, it's, it's too... I've already booked four festivals for this new show. <laughs> that's how I work. I work under pressure. <laughs> Genuinely, I have. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I hope I didn't ruin this. This is great. It'll work itself out, yeah. No, but it's, it is very cool. Do you, do you start when you're writing uh, with looking at a prop? Or does or do you write for the prop? I I tend to write. Uh, I start with the concept first. I suppose I actually now yeah I am more conceptual. Then I I tend to I've written like for the new show. So these ideas might be in the new show. They might not. Uh, so I've written down things like uh, ninjas, car race. Uh, I've written what else is there? Uh, water skiing, uh, tightrope walking, and I just write down these ideas, mm-hmm. and then I just go. These are fairly worldwide known generic things that you can do in China, you can do in India, you can do in America, Australia, we all understand this. And then I'd buy a whole bunch of props, like I will fill a bedroom full of all sorts of crap, and then I've got just a Spotify playlist that I just fill with all sorts of music. And so the music I tend to use is always going to be 80s and 90s, anything that's got an instant, when the moment that yeah. song starts, you go, oh, that's something funny, there's something funny in there. Yeah, and yeah. like the, with the... um. You know, I've had songs for years that I just go, I know this is funny. I don't know why. And like even I, I got the routine, uh, I think I took it out of the Edinburgh show actually. I've got these two squeezy pig toys. They, they All they do is oink. So two <laughs> squeezy pigs and they're two yeah. different little tones. And it took me, I did various routines where I treated them like drums. I did this thing and I never found the right thing. And then one day I was going through the Spotify playlist and dueling banjos came on. And it was like, well, that's obvious. Pigs are in dueling banjo and, and pigs are in deliverance. There's a weird connection there. There's an in-joke. Then the, the pigs just, and all I'm doing is for two minutes squeezing pigs on stage. And so it does mess with the audience. And I, I did it in the West End show and it was really fun because it was like that was the first thing I did as a joke. And I could feel some people in the audience going, what the hell is this? <laughs> We've actually paid money to watch this guy. And I'm looking at the audience as well, just going, I know, this is all I'm going to do. It's not going to get any bigger than this. Just these two pigs oinking. It <laughs> took you ridiculous. at least 20 years to find a use for pigs. Yeah, huh? absolutely. <laughs> yeah, these dog toy pigs. But now that I found a use for them, I'm now trying to buy every pig on the internet. You're going to so wind gonna... up like that lady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My house is weirdly enough going to be full of these squeaky pigs. I'm going to die. Some bastard's going to come in and go, what the hell is these? Flog them off, $5 each. <laughs> Five dollars each. You're going to answer the riddle of how yeah, does yeah. somebody wind up with so many <laughs> the, pigs? The, the, money, the money value of these pigs is insane. They won't appreciate it to be gone. <laughs> the other cool thing about what you do is that because you're not using uh, spoken language, it is universal Absolutely. for everybody. Yeah, so. that can be a wee bit harder now because when I was writing jokes, I was just writing jokes for for myself and whatever. But now I am thinking I want an audience in South Korea to see it. I want audiences in Japan to see it. So I'm trying to make sure that my jokes don't have any. So they're not completely isolated to one culture. I need to think more worldwide, which is a challenge. I wonder if you a lot of the the jokes in your music come out of the lyrics and the music. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if you could find music that is uh, lyrically in a different language or has no lyrics that would also still sell the joke. Sell a joke. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a hard one. Again, well, that sort of thing makes it then, yeah, if I lose that sort of thing, I'm just trying to think of recording. Because the, the other bane of my life is getting copyright clearance. Mm-hmm. So if I even want to do any TV stuff, it's just like, well, I'm limited immediately because uh, you know, I can't do a Michael Jackson joke on TV. You can't, no one can have the money to do John Lennon. So yeah, it becomes a bit of a mission. 
But your show is very musical. Are you musical as well? Not in the slightest. I've got vague rhythm. I think I, I would love to learn how to play the drums, uh, which is why I've got the pig drumming routine. Mm-hmm. I can I can hold a rhythm enough to to you know tap along with something. Yeah. But um. But no, no musical instruments. I played trumpet briefly as a kid at school, but then stopped doing that. Huh. Yeah. But you obviously love music. Music is good. Music is really yeah. important. I, I I was talking about this with someone else. When whenever I hear music, the first thing I hear is always going to be the drums. So I'm I'm very much beat driven rather than lyric or harmony. Huh. Yeah. I wonder what the first thing I hear is. I never thought of it in those yeah. terms. Isolate it. Yeah. <laughs> What's the first sound? What comes in? So I'm always there. Yeah, rhythm, rhythm and beats. Yeah. Just thinking also very quickly on the censorship side of things. One of the things I suppose I don't. I probably make a point of not having censorship in my show because I also have a thing where I try not, the character doesn't have any political opinions or any, the character doesn't have an opinion. <laughs> so I, I think that's important as well. The character has a views. I suppose when I'm really pushed, I will give the character a moral view, but I also don't want anybody's other morals or opinions pushed onto the character. So I have to be really you know, trapped in a corner to go, actually, no, I'm going to be forcing out this. Um, to the point that, you know, I, I don't care what political agenda anyone has, they can come to a show. They can see a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because my thing is that, you know, comedy and this sort of comedy as well is about bringing people together and forgetting real world things. So, yeah, I suppose that's a... But that is censorship. You're censoring the characters. Yeah, uh, I suppose I am. I'm the one holding him back from saying anything. Yeah, you're because, censoring tape face. But then that's, I'm probably doing that for his own safety. <laughs> Like some form of government. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking out for his interests. <laughs> I'm protecting him from me. <laughs> who, who is the tape face character in your mind? Uh, it's me at the age of nine. Yeah, yeah I easily. thought he was a kid. Yeah, it's, it's clearly me at the age of nine. I remember um, briefly talking to my parents and the idea was floated, did I have Peter Pan syndrome about not growing up? And then, so that was a real big thing for me. I've not, I never wanted to grow up because the idea of growing up means that you have to be responsible, you have to do that. So I've sort of now created this character who doesn't have to grow up and who I won't let grow up, mm-hmm. even though I sort of changed him from the boy with tape on his face. I brought him into teenager years and made him tape face. Yeah. So, yeah, so maybe that was the thing. Maybe at some point, he, I don't know how he'll grow up again. I don't think he will. <laughs> Is it specific, the age nine for a reason? No, I, um, I think at the age of nine, you're young enough to still play and imagine comfortably and then otherwise i think after nine again the the world starts putting influences into you of going that you get told that you're not allowed to play or that's stupid bullying comes into place girls boys take over mm-hmm. that's that sort of thing yeah the real world starts responsibility comes in at the age of nine i think it's kind of fun age because you can you know you're free to just play you can just play it doesn't matter right go to school get an education go play <laughs> what age were you when you guys moved I would have been about 12, I think, okay. yeah. But I still, you know, I had a really good, playful upbringing. It was really good. Was it was it better after you moved or before you moved? I think it was definitely better after because that was when I started discovering the performing. And the star- that's when I really, you know, I learned, I started to learn how to play. I found my own clown. I learned that, that it was okay to, to be silly. But at the same time, I didn't quite learn that because I was too busy acquiring all the skills and the foundations, not knowing. But now at the age of whatever I am now, I can look back and go, oh, okay, I learned that for this reason. Yeah, you know, I, I only started, I think at the age of 30, I realized, oh, it's okay to be not normal. Can you give me an example of something where you figured out, I learned that for this reason, what's the that and what's the reason? Um, Well, the clown yelling at me, that would be the the perfect example. So he yelled at me for that one show, but then it just, even later on in time, it's just any time I've been having to collaborate with somebody, I always just go, well, the the clown's going to yell at me if I don't say yes. (laughs) 
going to say yes to this idea. I'm, I'm a good team player, kind of now. Yeah, and to a degree, I am a good team player, but at the same time, I'm also not a good team player because I'm also so caught up in making sure my character's okay and protected mm -hmm. that I don't want to share him with anyone else. You think God, I really do hold this bastard down, don't I? Yeah. When you take that sentence you just said out of context, you really would sound like a psychopath. I can't, or the clown's going to yeah, yell at me. The clown's going to yell at me. <laughs> don't let the clown out. I even started doing that on the last tour. It's like this, I've, I've really started embracing my own inner clown and, and really enjoying him. So to, to the point of just, again, rediscovering my own being comfortable and not being normal. And, and, and also my not being normal is my own normal. So I've created more rituals for myself, which are, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I still hide tape. Like that's the thing that I do. I, do. I, I hide tape in every venue. So I, I, there's a bit of tape in every venue across America that I've ever performed. <laughs> And so that way I've got this whole thing about if I tape up the venue, then I've given the venue a certain magical power and then I can have it as well. <laughs> it's ah. like a belief in magic and that sort of thing. And then I started bringing out my own clown, even more like an incarnation of going, you know, I, I had a little phrase, I just say clowns here. And yeah. they really creep at clowns here. <laughs> and so the moment I start muttering that, even my technicians and other people around me are like going, all right, come on, he's going to get weird now. And But the moment I started saying that sort of thing, that's when I just started listening to the idea of going, I can say yes to things. I can say yes to ideas. Yeah. So like, you know, maybe that is true. Maybe I'm not saying the clown. Maybe that's it. Maybe I'm not saying clowns here isn't me being a clown. It's like, oh, clown's here. Got to say yes or he's going to yell. <laughs> They're <laughs> the, the creepy clown in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Facing the wall. Last thing you want to do is turn around. Oh, but clown's here. <laughs> they're the ones that are going to yell at you. Yeah. No. <laughs> no one wants a clown to yell. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like tape face is the ideal life almost because – like you were mentioning, you still got bills, you still got these ah, responsibilities. Yeah. That's like real life that you tried to escape, but the yeah. more successful you were at escaping it, the more it came back more to get you. More it comes in and get me. Yeah, but yeah. in saying that, there's still those moments. And, and I, I remember even tweeting a picture. I remember that I was just about to go on stage. And it was like, the moment I go on stage, it's all gone. Doesn't matter. None of it matters. So I, I can enjoy my, that's my escape. So I can escape all of the bullshit that real world bills, life, da 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 da. And I can enjoy my moment on stage. And I can take, that's what I take from the audience. Just as much as I'm going to give to the audience, I will take just as much. It's such a trade. It's a transaction. It's fair. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You've done something so cool. Now that I look at it, you've, for a certain amount of time a day, preserved your inner child. Yep. And physicalized him. Yeah, I get to be him. And I think that does genuinely keep me young. It keeps my mind in that, you know, teenage way, probably to my detriment as well. Because I think there is a certain amount where sometimes people go, I haven't quite grown up or I refuse to take responsibility for things. Mm -hmm. But it's like, yeah, so? <laughs> yeah, look at you. You did. And yeah, you did. Uh, is that you working out much better? Yeah. Like I can still, you know, run a company and pay my bills and do taxes and all that sort of yeah. crap. But at the same time, I will also maintain a stupid, immature run around to be an idiot. If the option is to be an idiot, be an idiot. It's way more fun. Yeah. It also sounds like from your story that when you moved, you didn't want to leave the kid behind. No, like, I suppose As soon so. as you got to the new place, you're like, uh-oh, this is when everybody's starting to grow up. Yeah. Time for me to... And also being homeschooled, probably I, I was, again, protected and <laughs> censored from the community of school, the bullying mm -hmm. of school and the forced into cliques and groups. It was just, you know, me and my brother and my parents hanging out and just doing our thing. It was, yeah. It was cool. 
So I got all the insights from my dad and all the prop making and stuff. And and my dad's got a wicked sense of humor, and he's a natural clown as well. So and and a, a damn good prop house, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah he could build anything. And I, I remember he would do things like he'd ring me up out of nowhere and just go, do you know you can walk on raw eggs? And then say, oh, of course you can. Let's tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly I've got a street show finale where I'm walking on the raw eggs and yeah. doing this weird stuff. So he's, he's got a good sense of humor in that sense. Yeah. Well, here's a little bit more uh, to... <laughs> All right, who's this guy? What does he do? I'll, I'll transition it back to Alexis. A Frenchman. A Frenchman. Ah, uh, mime. Uh, Classic French mime. <laughs> Always the connection. Uh, July, he was born July 29th, 1805, and he lived until April 16th, 1859. He was a French diplomat, politician, scientist, and historian. He was best known for his works, Democracy in America, appearing in two volumes, 1835 and 1840, and The Old Regime and Revolution, 1856. In both, he analyzed the improved living standards and social conditions of individuals, as well as their relationship to the market and state in Western societies. Democracy in America was published after Tocqueville's travels in the United States and is today considered an early work of sociology and political science. Um, so that's that's right. who, who we're going to be discussing. Man. Here, let's read about his death. The death is usually interesting. A longtime sufferer from bouts of tuberculosis, Tocqueville would eventually succumb to the disease on April 16, 1859. He was buried in the Tocqueville Cemetery in Normandy. The cemetery is named after named him. Named after him is pretty spectacular. It's pretty good. Right. Now I want to be buried in the nice. Lobel Cemetery. Yeah, to get your own cemetery. Why do you need to do that? you got to get a, a tape-faced cemetery. <laughs> Little tape on all the gravestones. It's real quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Gaville's professed religion was Roman Catholicism. He saw religion as being compatible with both equality and individualism and felt that religion would be strongest when separated from politics. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Definitely, once it's tied in with politics, yeah, that's it's a gone. disaster. It's a, absolutely, a disaster. I think any tie, anything tied in with politics, something ruins the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the the basis of tape face. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Right? Avoid it. Don't tie it in with anything. <laughs> yeah. No political yeah, opinion. Was, no. I'm get branded. Yeah. Coca Cola presents tape face. Ah, crap. <laughs> that's ruined. That's ruined. <laughs> that's when you know it's over, huh? Yes. <laughs> All right. Here's Alex's summary of what Alexis uh, talked about. He says, democracy has always had a danger of reverting back to monarchy. Matters are decided by vote, but when a majority feels one way on an issue, the minority may be persecuted. The government won't do anything because the vote has already told them where popular opinion wants them to fall. One opinion now rules. There's a tendency to think bad ideas will always lose popular votes, and this isn't true. Sometimes the majority is wrong. We must strive every day for true democracy, but we cannot have such devotion to it that we make the majority our new king. That's pretty good. I like that because uh, you don't want to make it, like you say, the new king. And then I feel that to reference it back to Tapeface, my job is to always undermine the king. I've got to always take that power back. To yeah. Go, right. Whatever you think, you're higher up. No, you're not. Are you the king? No, no one should be king. No one. Everyone king. should be clowns. <laughs> We're all clowns, no kings. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a castle full of jesters. Absolutely, what a great castle that'd be. Yeah, yeah, king of the jesters. Who know who would that be? I don't know. Well, as soon as there's a king of the jesters, it's all over. It's a, there's Coca-Cola a king. presents king of the jesters. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, it's 
yeah, I think that I, I definitely can resonate with that of the 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 uh, yeah the authority thing. Yeah, I think Take it's interesting back. how people become slaves to their opinions too. That's what that makes me think of. Yeah, true. It's like you you have an idea, you have a philosophy, not you specifically, yeah. but anybody, and then you go with it, and now you're you're sort of self branded that thing. Mm. You know, you've created an identity where like you yeah. pull something out and the whole card stack can fall. True, there is that. But then there's, I, even my friend Dave says that about the show and about me, where it says these people who send a message saying, oh, Tayface, you're amazing and kind. Then in reality, he's like, wow, they don't know you at all. <laughs> and it's that thing going, yeah, you should keep certain people at bay, I suppose. But Yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose, yeah, the the idea the that, you know, not all the ideas are good ideas. Mm-hmm. I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that the idea becomes the king more than the person. Yeah, true. Then do you think what the idea of Tapeface is king rather than the character? The concept, mm. the concept of the clown. The concept that everyone then watches the show going, I want to do that. You're so free. But, you know, they, they watch the show, I'm so free doing that thing. But in reality, I'm the one trapped in the tape. Yeah. <laughs> like Han Solo. <laughs> Stuck behind that. Yeah. Yeah, but there is definitely a certain reality of that. You know, I do definitely go through dark days of my own where I just go, I'm a complete slave to this show. I can't, I don't have my own life. I've got to make this thing as a beast that keeps going and going and going. And I'm, to a degree, I'm the, the I'm my own bad idea. Hmm. You know, maybe I have to also take a step back and become a street performer again. Yeah. But then I also, I will then, I can happily step back from myself and see that I know when to kill my own idea as well at some point. And again, that'll happen when people start expecting. The moment people start expecting, oh, you'll keep doing tape face forever. It's like, nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do something else. There'll have to be a certain point where. Yeah, there, there's always going to be a different thing going on. There has to be something else to go to. And I've, I've still written, I've got another character hidden away that I can bring out and I've written up this idea and weirdly enough I think I might go back to doing magic which is a strange one I was talking to another performer just the other day about it of how maybe you end up always going back to the thing that you started with but you master it eventually once you've trained for your whole life to go back to it so I maybe might go back to doing magic again I've written a whole character that if I was to suddenly do this character now it would completely ruin my career mm-hmm. yeah it would completely take it out well that's, of- that's the end of the story of what happened to me in Leeds is I went back to doing what I was originally doing which was story Storytelling. Yeah. So yeah, you take that step back to go. Well, when was I happy? Well, I'll do this. Yeah. Not in front of a Leeds jongler's audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what am I doing jokes for? I don't want to. Yeah. Wanna, I'd rather weave jokes into stories and have some fun. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm absolutely. like, I'm like, this isn't me. And yeah. it hits you at a certain point when you're like, you know, when you're done with something. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It's very natural. I think there are those people who have those. Again, the combination. Like I've had a couple of times, pre a few years ago, where I remember standing on stage doing routines, thinking, "What would happen if I just took the tape off now?" And it's like you know, there are these <laughs> weird ideas run through your head of going, "Imagine if I just peeled the tape off. What would people do? Or if you know, if what would do? I would just you can. I can definitely relate sometimes when people you hear stories of they just walked off stage and never went back on again or mm-hmm. that type of thing. It'd be fascinating to do once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the thing is you could only do it once. <laughs> it's a hell of a temptation. Yeah. But, but yeah, but at the same time, there's that thing where you go you go back to that thing that makes you happy. And uh, at the moment, the tape face thing, it makes me happy. It keeps me doing what I'm doing and it's a laugh. Yeah. How much of the show at this point are you mentally on autopilot? Um, oh, that can change if I'm having a good day or a bad day. So sometimes I can punch in and just bang out a show without thinking. But then I also have a certain 
responsibility to an audience because that's my main thing about Edinburgh and also any festivals and even here in Vegas and whatnot. When people buy a ticket to a show, I think that they're buying a ticket to what they've heard about it. So you have to then, you are, you have to present the, the expectation. You have to live up to what they've been told. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, nothing... That's interesting. I'm surprised to hear you say that. Well, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does seem yeah. to go against your life philosophy. Yeah, it kind of does. So maybe that's I'm I'm constantly conflicted. That's yeah. my other thing. Maybe yeah. that's always what it is. But yeah, I, you you have to do the show that the people have heard about. Otherwise, you're not doing what they're wanting. So yeah, again, that comes back to me being the slave to the show. Yeah. So I can be my master to the show and do whatever I want as long as I do what the audience want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good rule it's a good rule follow that rule you can't go wrong <laughs> do anything you want as long as they tell you first yeah. you don't want to confuse yourself you can't get better than that <laughs> yeah yeah it's good it's like feels like the philosophy of Daffy Duck <laughs> well you've tricked yourself into submission in a yeah, weird totally, way yeah <laughs> totally absolutely I'm, I'm, I've convinced myself that I'm completely free but I'm really not <laughs> it's great <laughs> you, you found a way to conform to the rules where you feel like you're breaking the rules yeah that's, Maybe that's just the safest way to break a rule. Yes. When there's no consequence. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm so rebellious. <laughs> that's the thing. There are some real avant-garde dangerous performers out there and I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. I yeah. never that's a that's, that is, yeah, I say thing, yeah, that's pretty on the on the mark. I found a way to break the rules without breaking a rule. Yeah. yeah. And that's functional. Yeah, it that's, works. That's the way you can function. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like an MC Escher of comedy. That's exactly <laughs> You're looking what it is. at it going, it makes no sense. <laughs> He's going down and up at the same time. Yes, yeah, yes. That works. Yeah. I like that. That's funny. I was just talking about MC Escher yesterday. It's weird how these things come up in the listeners. So I always ask the guests to read a little bit from the philosopher. Would you read that paragraph I for us? Give it a good go. When an opinion has taken root in a democracy and established itself in the minds of the majority, it afterward persists itself, needing no effort to maintain it since no one attacks it. Those who at first rejected it as false come in, come in the end to adopt it as accepted, and even those who still at the bottom of their hearts oppose it keep their views to themselves, taking great care to avoid a dangerous and futile contest. I feel like that's kind of being challenged in this country right now, though. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. I think it's always been that way to an extent, but now I do feel like people are waking up and be like, no, we're not all on board with these bad ideas. Yeah. Yeah, people are getting more of a voice. And I think also social media has definitely played a part in that as well. I think yeah. now that we can, uh, more and more people can come together a lot quicker to show that they're, you know, upset about things and, and have a voice. People can have a voice a lot faster. and, and, and But at the same time, those voices can maintain the momentum and build the momentum a lot faster. Mm -hmm. To a degree, they can become a lot more dangerous, a lot more quicker. Yeah. Well, how so? Uh, well, just, a, you know, a bad idea can get three followers, two likes, and go viral. <laughs> and then suddenly it's like it says here, you know, it's then accepted as, oh, no, maybe there is some structure in that, when in reality, if you were to really strip it back, you can go, actually, no, that's just a fucking stupid idea. Yeah. And somebody's just jumped on and said, no, it's a good idea. Then, you know, if you say something enough, it becomes the truth. Mm -hmm. you know, what does they say? The, the, was it a lie can run around the world before 
the truth can get his boots on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting when you're talking about people t- using their voices on, on the internet to go viral. I go back to you posting cheese. Cheese, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just post pictures of cheese. It's, it's a good thing. So I, I knew I normally look. I think that was my thing. When I started uh, doing my cheese, hashtag cheese posts, it, it came out of frustration of going, I wanted, if I, you know, most people go onto Facebook and they either cut and paste something and they don't Google it properly, they don't do any research. It's just, it's what do they call selectivism of some sorts? Mm-hmm. Or they they rant and complain and yell and scream into the nothingness. So whenever I started feeling frustrated or annoyed, I would just Google a picture of a cheese that I liked and just find the download the image, post a picture of the cheese, and then the description from Wikipedia and go, Whoa, take that, Brie. <laughs> Here's a Gouda. And that's Whoa, and hashtag cheese. It was just stupid because it sort of showed how stupid it was uh-huh. to just scream into a computer to get a you know, kind of, you can, you know, maybe you can get a good discussion out of it, but I would rather, if I feel pissed off about something, I want to find a human person and go, fuck, you know what grinds my gears? <laughs> it's that type of thing. I want to discuss it with a person or talk to friends or actually, it's a, maybe that's the other thing is that I, maybe I've also used Facebook wrong because um, I don't have the right number of friends on Facebook, like in real life. I think, you know, in, in my human real life, I've got 12 friends. That's enough. That's what you need. You need 12 friends. Yeah, you don't need a 1,000 people on Facebook all sharing a same opinion or screaming or getting likes or all that sort of stuff. I think it's stupid. Mm -hmm. Cheese is better. Hashtag cheese. (laughs) And that was even in the show. I put that in the show just to, you know, no, but that made no sense at all in the grand scheme of things. And I should have, in some cases, I shouldn't have been putting that in the Tay Face show. But here's me having my own little agenda and putting in my own little in-joke for myself. Oh, going, that's interesting because you know, the kid wouldn't be that No, way. the kid wouldn't be that annoyed or angry, yeah. yeah. And I started, the other one that I started saying is, you know, stay the course. That's another catchphrase of mine that I just logged into, which is stay the path, stay the course, stay the course. And that was in the show, stay the course, it's only cheese, and then Tate Face will walk in. Uh-huh. So. Stay the course is also like not a kid. You know, no, say the course is a very yeah. adult approach. Yeah. Maybe that's the other thing. Maybe that's the maybe that's the voice over tape face or over myself, or maybe that's the responsible adult in me and going, stick to the plan. It's on yeah. the God mic. Is on it? It's it's coming from the God mic, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Stay the course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's the the voice that says keep at it, keep focused. And if you stay the course, you will get to the results. But then that's because I've always come at even through street performing and comedy and in every aspect of my life, I'm incredibly driven. And I am a very strategic person as well. So I will plan, plan like a demon and an idiot. And so if I work out a plan, stay the course and the plan mm-hmm. will come together. The moment you deviate from the plan, you've ruined it. You've Why do you it. think you're so driven? Because I've got a chip on my shoulder, I've got it's, a point to prove. It goes back, to, it goes that, back yeah. to being the kid at school. So it's that yeah, thing it's, of going, yeah, I have to prove a point that I can do this. And I, again, I also have this thing that I think that we all have something to do. I don't know what it is, but there's some, There's a moment. It could be a tiny little moment that just that's a thing that you have to do, and there, there will be a moment where you feel it and you get it right. When the gloves thing went out and went viral, and I had that thing of going – I've done a stupid thing and it's connected people all around the world and it's made people smile, it's made people happy and it was a good feeling. It was a really good feeling to do that and it was a, the closest I've had to going, I think I'm close, I think I've got it. But it wasn't quite close so it makes me now wonder, instead of it being all about big numbers, it's like actually it could be the tiniest thing that I'm looking for that'll be the right thing that I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And the moment I do it, that'll be the time to go, cool, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'll, yeah. I'll be watching to see when that happens. Oh, uh, yeah, when it happens, it'll be very noticeable. <laughs> oh, yeah, there'll be a really good couple of cheese pitches. 
It's when I discover fondue. That'll be the moment I lose my shit. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all the best performers are trying to prove something. And and who knows what the hell it is. I don't yeah. even know if you know what it is in your case. Do you know what it is? Well, the the point to prove I think the moment you realize that you don't have anything to prove, you you get it. That's the thing. When you start yeah, I'm no, I've no longer I don't want to be doing shows for any sort of status or blah blah. Oh, I can do this. I can. You, you get a celebrity status. You win an award. You do this. You do this. It's just you do shows for yourself, which is one of the reasons why I write so many stories into my show that no one knows. It is my own therapy. My show has become my own little pet project where I bury all sorts of little meanings into it for me. So that means that every time I get to do it, it reiterates to myself how I can keep young, how I can maintain mm-hmm. keeping that character healthy and safe, and you know, protect it. I want to protect that that little kid. Yeah. So it's like I have to. How can I? protect it by hiding this and this and this and this in the show and that way I can do the comedy show the audience laugh and cheer but I'm always just nurturing that nine-year-old kid going it's okay you're safe you'll be fine don't worry it sounds like you'd be a good parent do you think of having kids I've got a little boy oh I mean, you do yeah yeah okay. a four-year-old boy yeah I, I missed I, that no, part of it sorry that? that's right no he's all good uh no he's he's uh, he's all right he's, he's a good kid he's really good I think um I very much want to make sure he grows up knowing that imagination's okay and not to take anything seriously. So you want to make sure he doesn't grow up? To a degree. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want him to learn that just yet. (laughs) You need to learn not how to not grow up first. Yeah. Yeah. You got to grow up a little bit and then you got to go back and ruin everything. Yeah. Self-sabotage again. You got to become, yeah, you got to become the, you got to become the king first and then realize you're actually the clown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I like that philosophy. Yeah, become the king. Become the king to know you're the clown. Yeah. Has yeah. he seen the tape face show? He has. He 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 gets it. He's got a really interesting thing. Like I I'm I'm away a lot from him, which is really hard. And he uh he he does sort of say to me, like I have to explain to him a lot. He's he's four and oh he's coming up five now, actually. Uh, he's 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 really onto it. So I sort of say he knows why I have to go away and do shows. I go, I'm not going to go on tour. i got to go to shows. And it's like, you know why I do shows? And he goes, yeah, you've got to go do shows to make people happy. Mm-hmm. It's like, I will take that. And it's, it's a good thing. Like, he sees that what I'm doing has a value that I have to do these shows to make other people happy. To, to, I don't want to do it to his detriment of not making him happy because I also do shows to make sure I can provide for him to give him everything that he can possibly need to grow to be the most rebellious king that he wants to be. Right. <laughs> It's funny, you know, when you were talking about um, trying to prove something, mm. it hit me. Um, when I started doing this show, one of the first guests s- said to me afterwards, like, oh, you've got a brain in you. And I knew this guy <laughs> for like 10 years. And that was the first time he had seen <laughs> And, and uh, I think that that kind of pushed me to keep doing this show because... I think a lot of people see me, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big mm. guy, and they think they have this preconceived notion that fat people are dumb. It's insane. I, yeah. But but it, I do get treated like that, and I do get infantilized, if that's yeah. the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? And, and uh, people see big people, and they think they're dim-witted. And yeah. it's just a, I think that it hit me as you were talking. I'm like, what am I trying to prove? What's the point? And yeah. I was like, maybe I'm trying to prove that I have a brain in here, you yeah. know? Maybe that I'm a person, emotional. But then would, and, would that would that proving the brain thing only come when you realize that it's not needing to be proved anymore? It's that self-satisfying of of you you find your own. As I find my own clown, you find your own brain. Maybe. Yeah, it's very Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. You know, it turns out it's there. Yeah. All, turns out it's there all along. That's right. the thing. Yeah, that's, and even that was yeah yeah. It's 
well, that was the other one, even in the, the Tate Face show in Edinburgh, there was the massive Wizard of Oz reference. Did you, I don't know if you saw that on. So at the start of the show, I walk in and I'd pick up a tiny balloon on the ground and I just mm-hmm. put it in my pocket. And that's the balloon that I have to pop to wake up. And so ah. it's like the red shoes and Dorothy's red shoes. They're there all along. I didn't put it together. Yeah, no one does. I yeah. hide all the stuff in there for myself. These yeah. Easter eggs that no one else picks up on. But uh, yeah, I think that's a big thing. You once once you realize that you've had it all along, mm-hmm. that's only when you can use it. Sure, yeah, that's the, that's the right time. It's like a slow hand clap. It can only be used at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, why are there eggs at Easter? Do you know? Uh, isn't it a pagan festival about new life? Maybe, isn't maybe it a, which it goes back to another festival that Christians just claimed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Around Easter is also when we have Passover. And we also have eggs okay. on Passover. It's just the time of year of the egg companies. <laughs> time of the egg. Yeah. yeah. Just be the egg festival. Yeah. It's funny that Easter eggs are hidden. Passover eggs are just put out. That's why there's n- nobody's ever said, I hide little Passover eggs in my act. You, you just need the two to come together where somebody puts the Passover egg out. Yeah. And the next person hides it. Put another egg out. Hide it. <laughs> well, uh we have some quotes We've got here. The quotes? Yeah. Am I reading this out? All right. <clears throat> Quote number one is, American society is covered with a layer of democratic paint, but from time to time, one can see the old aristocratic colors breaking through. Yeah, that's obvious, I reckon. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be somebody's idea that's going to creep back because that's, I think, we live in a culture of circles and repeating patterns. We can't get away from ourselves. Everything repeats. We only know so much. Yeah, of course. Eventually yeah. you've rewinded it again, you know. <laughs> Did we really need another remake of it? No, we didn't. <laughs> I'm sure I haven't seen it, I'm sure it's good. But we you know, we you do run out of ideas at some point, so you just go back to reinvent the old ones and you realise those ideas have always been there before. You know, the the number of Again, to, to link the philosophy to the Dave Face show, the number of people who have said, oh, wow, you're doing something so new and groundbreaking. It's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> this is clowning. This has been around for years. This is not groundbreaking in the slightest. I, yeah. I don't think it should go unnoticed that you took a shot at the movie that's painting clowns in a bad light. Absolutely. Clowns are good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, I don't mind that. Scary clowns are good. Yeah. And I've got a lot of balloons in my show as well. <laughs> it doesn't help. A lot of red balloons. Red balloons. <laughs> yeah, do you want a balloon? <laughs> clowns here. <laughs> it does, doesn't help me in the slightest. All right. Yeah, I definitely think the old the old ideas are always going to shine through, and you know the the old you know just as much as the old bad ideas are going to shine through, the old good ideas are also going to hold their own and come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what you were talking about before. It's like you, you wind up back where you started at yeah, some point. Yeah, you start because it's all still first. there. It's yeah. under the paint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you go back to it, but you go back to it with an education and a life that you can go. Oh, I should have done it that way. Which makes you then wonder about oh, if I had started doing it that way, what would I have done now? Hindsight. And isn't that life in general? Yeah, hindsight and guy. I've got a little character I keep in my head called Hindsight Guy, and he uh, he's like he looks just like yourself. So we've all got our own hindsight like guy. Like me? Yeah, he, your hindsight guy looks just like you. Oh, well, except I he wa- you except hindsight. he walks around with a bike helmet on. That's just one of the, you know when you see these people wearing bike helmets yeah. and there's not a bike near them, and you go, why uh-huh. are you wearing a bike helmet? And he holds a sign. And the sign is written on it, the information you need to know, but he's holding it, so he's looking at it. So he's showing it to you, but only he can see it. And he's going, I got you a sign. Look at this. Uh-huh. And then you're looking at this guy, looking at the back of a sign. And only when he goes, oh, well, and he walks away is when you go, oh, that's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> We've all got our hindsight guy. Yeah. 
And his catchphrase is always, I'll see you soon. Because <laughs> he's always going to come back with some other little gem that you should have known. Damn you, hindsight Damn guy. Damn you, hindsight guy. <laughs> I wanted to ask you one question that I, I forgot before. But um, the God Mike voice in the show. Yes. Who's what that? What does Tapeface, the character, interpret that voice to be? Ooh, I suppose that would. Oh, you're gonna go to his id of sorts, really. It's gonna be his, the the one. It's that voice that's looking after him. I suppose that is gonna be me, mm-hmm. telling him that it's all gonna be okay, or trying to guide him into its own little place of safety. And be aware. And be all aware. That. Be safe. You know, do that. So Stay it's the a, course. It's a parent's voice talking to. Yeah, face. yeah. You hear that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it comes in. But then it's also, it's. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it is that parent voice. It's that dream. It's only in the dream where you realize you get the information. You're, you, you're picking up those, those pits where you wake up and you go, oh, that's right, I should do this. Yeah, yeah responsibility. Yeah, makes sense. Huh. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's do the next quote. Next quote is, <clears throat> in politics, shared hatreds are almost always the basis of friendships. Yeah. You can see that, yeah. Well, everyone just bands together because that's just that goes back to like the Facebook thing. It's just become an echo chamber of the same ideas and stupidity. Yeah, like uh, that's that's the uh, nothing worse than everyone just going, "Oh, I feel this about politics," and everyone going, oh, "I agree," and the same little looping over and over and over and over again. It's just like, yeah, the term echo chamber is absolutely perfect. It's just like you know, open your, you know, you need to have somebody else's opinions. There was recently the the video that popped up on Facebook or YouTube or whatever it was that went went about of it was um. The Black Lives Matters people going to a anti rally of some sort, and then the anti rally giving them a chance to go on stage and talk. Mm-hmm. And it's like normally these people would just butt heads left, right, and center, but mm-hmm. to actually have a conversation, to actually communicate, it just becomes the the, the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah it's rare that there's any kind of dialogue. Oh, absolutely, and there should the always be more dialogue. More dialogue and more communication would save so much more time, which is rich coming from a mind. <laughs> <laughs> we need more dialogue and more communication. That's what I'm saying. That's my message. Yeah. That's the message Tayface wants to get across. Talk more. Talk more. Tayface is talk more, people. <laughs> That's great. The irony of it all is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. All right. We have one more quote here uh, to round off the show. You want to go for it? All right. Americans are so enamored of equality that they would rather be equal in slavery than unequal in freedom. Yeah, it's because not just Americans, humans, mm-hmm. humans are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I suppose so. That does make sense again as well. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's the the. But then is that also coming back to that we live in a PC world gone mad kind of thing? That mentality where everyone goes, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to have this. It's all, it's all. But now everyone else is becoming their own slaves. Yeah, We're well, it goes slaves. back to tape yeah, face. We're right? going back to slaves. So yeah, everyone <laughs> comes back to being a slave. Yeah. This well, <laughs> Yeah, again, and only it's only when you realize that you aren't. Yeah, yeah, you're not your slave. That you can be your own king. Maybe that's the thing. We are all our own, mm-hmm. our own gods and our own kings and our own clowns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I think that's definitely the message to take out of today's. Uh, well, today's be, episode. be your own king to know you're the clown. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the quote. Yeah. If from that's the good from, like from Tapeface, the philosopher. That's my one. Yeah. Yeah. Learn to yeah learn through being your king that you are only a clown. When did it hit you? <laughs> Um, probably recently in the last year, I would say it really came crashing home. I think it was because, again, through just having the just that scrutiny of of numbers and people contacting and messages and people wanting to know 
about the character. Suddenly people, like the character's always grown. I've always had the, the safety of the character. And then suddenly you get, you know, thousands and thousands of people saying, we want this character, we want a piece of him. Then mm. I become really protective of him and have to hide him away even further. Yeah. So it becomes that thing of, yeah, you, you learn to, I've, I've learned to hide my clown away, but at the same time by hiding him away further has made me more comfortable in being my own clown. Are you protective of your own clown? Oh hell yeah, yeah! Not because just the inner child kid, not just just the, the me clown. Oh yeah, you. to 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 again to my own detriment as well, where I will sabotage situations and people and friendships just to be true to myself. Because oh, yeah? yeah, absolutely, you have to be because the the thing is that that's why I've got twelve friends. <laughs> 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 because you have to just not give a shit. It's yeah. just like the moment you, you the moment you are untrue in any way to yourself, you're wasting your time. Yeah. It's just like you have to it's worth it is worth losing the friendship with somebody who doesn't want to be around your clown. It's like I would rather have twelve people who really are comfortable around me doing and saying whatever I want to to trust. I think it's gotta be all about trust and and, and yeah, and tolerance and, and yeah. You know, you'll have to be a clown. Be clown. Sure. Yeah. Well tape face. Now you've got 13 friends. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> That's brutal. And the clown in me had to say that. That's the best bit. It's like, you know, good God. <laughs> Sam, thanks for doing the show. No worries, man. Man. This has been real fun. Awesome. That's our show, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks again to Sam Wills, Tape Face. Thank you guys for finding the show, being with the show, supporting the show through another season. Thank you to Alex Vasella for the unbelievable work he does behind the scenes of this show, making this show what it is. And Logan Heftel, who makes it easy to listen to by mastering that audio, making it so sweet and so smooth. Since episode one, these guys, I got such a great team. And, of course, thank you to my wife, Kylie Orlo-Bell. Check out her podcast, Jewess, where she talks to strong Jewish women. She hasn't found any weak ones yet. She's talking to strong Jewish women about Jewish women stuff. That's the Jewess podcast. And, of course, check out the We're Going to Hell podcast. These guys from New York are doing it absolutely hilarious, offensive, and going for it. Edgy guys, go and check them out. They sponsored this show. And you should give them at least a chance to find out how funny they are. The We're Going to Hell podcast. Of course, my other sponsors, Stand Up Records, where you can pick up my albums. Uh, and go to fairenoughcomic.com and pick up an issue of my comic book. The first one is available. You should have it. Fairenoughcomic.com. I think you're going to love it. Please go check it out. Okay, everybody, what a season it's been. We're going to have a season wrap-up show next with Alex Fasella. Then we're going to have a special episode remembering my unbelievable friend and mentor, Ralphie May, who passed away this, this year tragically. Very, very sad. Way too young. Way too talented. Such a loss to the world. And so I'm putting together a special memorial episode for Ralphie May. We lost some really good ones this, uh, this year. Oh, my God, Ralphie's gone. Shelly Berman's gone. Marty Allen, who was also a former guest on this show, passed away. It's very sad. Um, but, uh, yeah, so look forward to that. I'm putting together a compilation of the, the talks Ralphie and I have, have had on the air over the years, and that'll come out in between seasons as well. 
<sighs> Guys, as always, it's an honor getting to do this show for you. Thank you for the feedback. Please write to me. It's the end of the season. Let me know what you think, what you loved, what you didn't love. I want to hear from you. The comical at yahoo.com. And you can always do a nice thing and go on iTunes and leave a nice review and five stars. I haven't been pushing it as hard. And as a result, we haven't been getting as many, but it does help and I do need it. So just take a second. It costs you nothing. Jump on there and write something nice and throw some stars on there. And you'll be adding some good energy out there into the world and fueling this show. Of course, you can always go a little further than that and make a donation on the website, moderndayphilosophers.net, where you can see pictures and all kinds of cool stuff from the show. I think you get it. That's about it. What a season. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to me. And I'll see you next time with the wrap-up show. Goodbye, everybody. Be well. <laughs>